with us. We'll read maybe starting in verse number 9. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. So this this chapter, well known, the chapter of love. You've heard it in just about every wedding that goes on. There's a portion of this Scripture that's read. But you know that this is so much deeper than than what you and I know as men and women. Charity, and in that last verse, these three, that's, that's what was on my heart. Faith, hope, and charity. And in these three, the, the very foundations of our salvation, none of these are natural in our world. This didn't come, you know, after Adam fell, there was no faith towards God in the world. Man had no hope of his own strength or of his own accord. And if, if you've ever had your eyes open and recognized that you were lost, I, I believe that by the revelation of God, you saw, I've got no hope of myself. If something doesn't happen to me, I'm going to die and go to hell. I believe that's that's where God brings men and women to, but that wasn't there on its own. Something had to happen to bring me to that realization. I believe we we all recognize God the Father, His eternal love from before the foundation of the world, His plan of salvation. We we recognize the Lord Jesus Christ and how that He came and gave His life in place of our life how that He lived righteously, that we could have His righteousness. None of that's of our own. See, all of this is coming from God. And so here is the ministry of the Spirit. The Holy Ghost, they're all three equal. I'm afraid a lot of times I, in my mind I, I rank the Spirit a little lower than the other two. And we, we have a tendency to do that if we're not very careful. But you know, as important as it was that God loved me and send His Son. And as important as it was that the Son willingly come, willingly humble Himself, and willingly die, it's just as important that the Holy Ghost come and deliver to me these three. So what is faith? The first on the list, faith. You you could ask and get a lot of thoughts on what faith is in our world today. But it it really doesn't matter what I think it is. And in all respect, it really doesn't matter what you think it is either. But we've got the Bible to tell us what biblical saving faith is. So what is faith? Well, I believe you could see uh, in the day that the Lord had fed the multitude there and He began to speak His Word and said, I'm the bread of life. And you're going to have to eat of my flesh and 
drink of my blood if, if you're going to have life within you. And that was offensive to people. They thought that he was talking naturally. They thought he meant they were going to have to eat his actual body and drink his actual liquid. But the Lord said, no, my word is spirit. You see, it was his life that was going to be given, his flesh and body that was going to be beaten and bruised, and his blood, that, when you say his blood shed, he's going to give his life. He is going to lay down his life and die so that you and I wouldn't have to die. And that's what he was saying. But you know, man could not see that. And multitudes turned and went away from him that day because of that saying. That's what the Bible says. It's in John 6. And so the Lord turns to his disciples and says, will you also go away? Are you going to do like everybody else is doing? And what does Peter say? We know what Peter says. Lord, to whom shall we go? So look at the difference in opinion here. You got the multitude going away, offended at what he said, and Peter and these disciples, they say, we've got nowhere else to go. What's the difference there? You're going to come on over in Matthew 16 again. And you all know this Scripture, I'm sure. And the Lord's going to say, who do men say that I am? And you know, some people say, well, you're John the Baptist. They think that you're Him rose from the dead. Some people think you're Elijah that's rose from the dead. Some say that you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And you know, there's opinions all over the place among man. And that's exactly the way it is today. Who is Jesus today? Who do men say that He is? But the Lord's going to bring it right on down individually. Who do you say that I am? And Peter again says, We believe and are sure that Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now that's quite a confession. And you could say, boy, Peter, Peter had it all figured out right there. But you know what? The Lord's going to clarify that for me and you so that we wouldn't blow Peter up and think too much of him. The Lord says, Peter, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. You know what blessed means? To be well off, to be fortunate, to have the divine favor and blessing upon your life. Peter, you are blessed of God because you see what the world thinks about Jesus. We could go on about that all day. We could. What's the world think about Jesus? But you know, the church of the living God, they know who He really is. Peter knew who that the Lord really was. And the Lord said, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. Peter, it's not that, it's not that you saw me raise the dead. Everybody saw Him raise the dead. It's not that you saw me feed a multitude. Everybody saw me feed a multitude. But Peter, there's been a special work in your heart. Do you realize that the Father has favored you and by the Spirit let you know who that I am? Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father, which is in heaven, He has let you know who that I am. And folks, accept the Lord. Open the heart and the mind and show and reveal this truth to people. They are unable to see it. People cannot come. It's just like Ken read. 
How can they call on Him in whom they've not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall He preach except He be sent? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But if you're saved, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I had heard preaching from infant size. For years and years, I had heard preaching with my ears. But you know, there come a day, I was on the second row, I was sitting beside my mama. There come a day that the gospel came. And it was preached from the same pastor we had had. He was preaching the same Bible that he had preached. But something happened in me. It was my hearing that was changed. My, My spiritual ear was open. And do you know how that happened? It was the work of the Holy Spirit of God. It was this, as Jesus says to Peter, you have been divinely favored. God has blessed you with hearing and seeing and understanding that these other folks in the world have got. Peter, it's not because you're smart in your flesh. It's not because you're good in your flesh. It's not because you have sat down and, and labored and worked hard and figured it out on your own. I, man, man wants it to be about him. I swear, man likes everything to be about what I've done and what I've said and the profession that I've made. But the Lord says, Peter, my father showed you that. He says earlier in this book of 1 Corinthians, Another scripture that you, you well know, this scripture as well. In chapter 2, now a lot of times, a lot of times verses get taken out of context. And when that happens, what God meant in the book that He wrote it in, that meaning is lost. And it's applied in a manner that wasn't meant to be applied. I believe that happens here a lot of times. So Paul here in the first chapter, he is talking to the Corinthian church and you know what they got going on? Some people think they're better than others. Yeah. Ain't that something? That's the way man is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so Paul has went through in the first chapter the call of God and that that brought them to repentance. And so here, we're still talking about the same thing. And Paul says, when I preach, I don't preach with my wisdom. I don't preach with enticing words. I'm not trying to get people to come. I'm just trying to preach the Word in the power and the demonstration of the Spirit as was already heard. And God's the one doing the illuminating and the drawing. And so that's what He's saying in the earlier verses. And we come down into verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God hath ordained before the world unto our glory. Paul says what I'm preaching... People just can't see. We can see Jesus in a manger. We can see Jesus on a cross. But in ourselves, to see me as a wicked, vile sinner that required a sacrifice and that needed to be born again, I can't see that without the work of the Spirit. So what's the princes going to do in verse 8? Which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Do you know why they crucified Jesus? They didn't know who He was. And we say, we look back and say, how stupid were those people? 
to not recognize who He was. Look at everything that He done. And they still didn't know Him. But bring it to our day now. You think about the raising that we had, all the preaching that we heard, and you know until the day that the Lord illuminated us, we didn't know Him either. It's a truth. And so they didn't know it. But as it is written, verse 9, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. So this is a quote. This is from Isaiah 64. And you re- the people read that and it's heaven. It's always about heaven. But do you see what he's talking about? People didn't know the Lord. I seen Him. Ear heard Him. The heart understood that Lazarus was dead. And Jesus raised him up. But you see, the natural man, he's going to go on to say that here, the natural man can't receive that. This is not a message for the carnal man. And he can't put together that this man is the Savior that has come to save our souls. And so we could leave it off right there and say, well, man's just not able to see it. But thank God there's more to it than that. But God hath revealed to take off the cover You know what we see? Paul the Apostle, he's on the road to Damascus. He's got uh, the letters in his hand. He's going to to throw the church in prison. We see little snippets of his life before. He's breathing out threatenings and slaughterings. He's seeking to imprison all of the church of that day. He's looking to bring an end to the preaching of this heretic, Jesus Christ. He wants to end it. We don't want that word being preached any longer. You know what it is? He's blind to who he is. But what's going to happen to Paul? Now, Paul's not looking for the Lord. Paul's not trying to be saved. Paul's not trying to do better. But Paul's going on his life and he's going down to throw the church in prison. Everybody that I find down in Damascus, I'm going to throw them in prison. I'm going to go down there and prove to them who the boss is. I'm the one that's in control and I'm tired of this lie being preached. But you know the Lord, as Paul's walking down the road with the papers in hand, the light of the Lord shone round about him. He says himself, it was brighter than the noonday sun. You know what I believe about that? The sun wasn't bright enough to show Paul who Jesus was. But boy, the light of the Holy Spirit of God. He fell on his face and he said, Who art thou, Lord? Who are you? You know what God's doing? God is revealing to Paul who the Lord Jesus Christ is. He hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that does the work. And that's what the church is dependent upon. The Spirit of God bringing this convincing. The word faith, if you look it up, it means persuasion, credence, or conviction of truth. To be convinced of the truth. Now before the Lord appeared to me, I was not convinced of the truth. What I was was convinced in a lie. I thought I was going to heaven. I thought I was good enough. I thought I was all right the way I was. And I didn't, I don't need to be saved. 
I've already been saved. I'm fine the way that I am. And I was convinced of a lie. But you know the Lord's going to come with His Word. The Word is going to be preached and the Holy Spirit is going to illumine and reveal to me the truth. And He's not just going to make it known. He's going to convince me and fully persuade me of that. Faith is more than believing in the mind. Faith is that that changes the course of life. we got examples of that. You can look in Hebrews 11, the chapter of faith. What did faith do in the lives of these men? Well, Abel... It cost him his life. Noah, God said, Noah, I'm going to build an ark. Or I'm going to flood the earth. And I want you to build an ark. And you know, Noah was so convinced of that that he quit everything else that he was doing and began to build an ark and the rain never fell before. You know what he was? He was fully persuaded. Abraham's going to get a son in old age. And God says, I promise, Abraham, I swear by my own name that through this Son is going to come the blessing of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and then just a few days later, God says, Abraham, I want you to go offer that boy. Now all Abraham had was that first promise. And you know that Abraham was so persuaded that God was going to carry out the first promise that He said, if I go up and offer Him and kill Him, God will bring Him back from the dead because I am fully persuaded that God can't go back on His promise. This is that that persuades a man. And we've got the disciples as well. Here's men that's mending their nets and getting ready for another night's fishing. They're there with their dad. Their dad owns the business. They're doing the work. They're getting ready to go out. And what? The Lord preached a big sermon to them. The Lord come and begged them, why don't you just come come and, and let me use you? He said, follow me. And now they're going to leave the stake in the company. They're going to leave their father. They're going to leave their livelihood. They're going to leave their money behind and follow Him at two words. See, there's, there had to be a power working with Bittner. Something, you think about Elisha out in the field plowing on his family's farm and Elijah comes and don't even say anything to him. He throws his mantle and goes on. And Elisha runs him down and says, wait a minute, I'm going to follow you. Just give me a minute to say bye to everybody. I'm coming. You see, that there was a working. There had to be. There's no other, no other explanation. The Holy Spirit is working in the inward man to reveal these truths under their heart. And so that's, what, that's the way God worked. This faith that saved us, it came by the persuasion and by the... We call it conviction today. That's what I've heard my whole life. But you know what to be convicted of something means? To be absolutely convinced. I've heard it said, I want my people to be convicted. You know what you mean? I want them to be convinced, fully persuaded that they're on the road to destruction. Well, friends, I can preach till I'm blue in the face and never get the job done. But you know the Holy Spirit, He can shine the light in their hearts and reveal the truth to them. Amen. And that's the natural man can't see that. But the Holy Spirit 
reveals. Yes. You know, it's I, I thought of that that manifest to reveal to take the cover off is the meaning of that word. You you see these car shows and Ford's got a new model. They've got a new Mustang they're going to bring out. They got a new uh, Ranger that they're going to debut, and they got her covered up when they roll it out on stage. And you can see the form. But to know what that is, until somebody manifests that to you, until the cover off of it, you can't see what's that. That's what it is in the natural eye and in the natural mind trying to see what the Lord Jesus We see Him on a cross. We see Him in a manger. We see Him but to see Him as my Savior and my propitiation, God's going to have to jerk the cover off of it. That work's done by the Holy Spirit. And now abideth faith and hope. Hope. Now there's another word that what we say today don't mean what it means in the Bible. I may say I hope it snows at Christmas. Now what I mean when I say that is I've got no power over that and I don't know whether it's going to happen or not. But my desire is that it snows at Christmas. Well, when in the Bible He says He gave them a hope, that don't mean I'm wishing for it down at the end of the way. But you know, hope in the Bible, if you look that up, it is an expectation or a confidence. It's not... There's no wishy-washiness in biblical hope whatsoever. And do you know that the church, my God Almighty, what promises that God gave to them that are His? That the church is going to be established on the rock of faith, a persuasion from the Spirit of God, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says, you know, uh, the hairs of your head are numbered. When a sparrow falls to the ground, I wonder how many sparrows fell to the ground today. And we don't don't care how many fall. They don't even matter. But Jesus says the Father knows every sparrow that's fell to the earth this morning. Every sparrow that has died. And He says, fear not, you're worth many sparrows. How, how much does God, and it's by His love, we'll get to love in a minute, but how much do we mean to God? That from before the foundation of the world, God saw us, in, and where were we at? Boy, we were being good. We were, we were on our knees seeking God every day. And God came to where we were. You might be able to say that. But that's the furthest thing from the truth in my life that ever was. I was not seeking God. The truth is I was trying to get away from Him. I had rather avoided Him and avoided a trip to the church than to go. And do you know what the Bible says? God commendeth His love for us. Not when we were good. It wasn't when I was down on my knees saying, God, I need help that the Lord died for me. It wasn't when I was saying, God, I'd like to be saved that the Spirit appeared to me. But God came to me when I was a sinner. I was going to Damascus to persecute the church and the Lord appeared to me. And do you know what that did? It changed my mind. Do you think Paul's mind 
and his intention changed when God showed that light around him that day. Uh-huh. He didn't change them. Do you see Paul didn't change them? God changed them. God convinced him. And in that convincing, God gives an expectation or a confidence because this salvation that God's given, it, it doesn't hinge on me. That's the beautiful thing of it. That if I do like David tomorrow and sin a sin, my God, what an example that God gives us in King David, a man after God's own heart, and yet look at the sin that David committed. My God, a sin that if I'd been there, I'd have said, there's no way that this man's a saved man. Look at the evil. And you know what I'd have done? If I was writing the book, I'd have left that out and said, people don't need to know about that. Wouldn't you? If you're writing a book and you're writing David as a great king, you wouldn't want to include the... But you know what God does? God includes... God's not trying to pull the wool over your eyes. God's revealing to you the truth. And God shows us how that David sinned. And you know what the Bible says about David's sin? It was an egregious sin. He had corrupted and went against God's will and caused a, uh, an opportunity for the enemy to blaspheme. But David said, God, restore the joy of your salvation. Uh-huh. You know where David's salvation rested? In the Father. Mm-hmm. And there is where ours rests. In Hebrews chapter number 6, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, listen to these verses. Hebrews 6. Verse number 17. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to shew unto the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel. Immutability is unchangeableness. His Word cannot be changed. The immutability of His counsel confirmed it by an oath. So what's God going to do? He's going to swear and you'll read it in the Old Testament, as I live, saith the Lord. What's he swearing by? His own life and his own name. There is no greater for God to swear by. There's no greater for God to give assurance by. So what does he do? He swears that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation. Yeah. I tell you what the church has got in Jesus Christ. We've got an assurance of salvation that that cannot be taken away. They may drag us before the courts and accuse us of all manner of ungodliness, but it will not change the state of the church in Jesus Christ. The world may gang up on, and they, they have all through the past. The religious world, they took the Lord Jesus, didn't they? And they accused Him of great crimes and of treason, and He was crucified for it. And so they did with the apostles and multitudes more. But before God Almighty, we have a strong consolation. It's impossible for God to lie. And we have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure 
and steadfast. You know what these great ships, and there's some great ships in our land today, but they've got anchors and chains. They're, they're bigger than, than my mind can even wrap around the weight and the strength that's there. But you know what they've got? When they drop that down and it catches the ground, it's big enough that when that catches, this ship's not going to move any longer. If, if we had a ship and an anchor the size of this table and a ship the size of the Titanic, we know that's not going to hold. But you know what they've designed? That these people are smart. They've got an anchor that's sure. We can drop that anchor and know that that's caught in a rock no matter what comes on it. That's the way the church is. You recognize that. This anchor, it's not dropped in a rock in the river. It's not dropped down in the bottom of the ocean. But it's anchored in that beyond the veil in the work that the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished. It's already done. It's already finished. He bowed his head. He said, it is finished. There's nothing more needs to be done. I've paid for their sins. They can expect redemption. That can't be taken. Paul said, for we know. We know if this earthly house, of this tabernacle be dissolved, we have a building of God eternal in the heavens. There was assurance. There was a confidence. There was an expectation that at the end He was going to be redeemed. Not by what Paul done, but we have as an anchor of the soul both sure, secure, and steadfast, stable. You know if you drop it down, I don't know if you've ever been in the ocean or out in the river even. My brother's got a little John boat. We'll go fishing. He's got one of them little anchors that catches. So you drop it down and you drift a little until that catches on something. Then you tie it off. And so you put it out there and, and you may go and it may catch on something just a little and the boat slow down for a second and you think, well, we've got it. And then the next easing back down the water. You know what's happened? It wasn't secure and it wasn't stable. But you know, the, the Lord's work is secure and stable and it's never moved. Right. That's the truth, brother. The rock of the Lord has never shifted. The work, the work that I have my trust in has already been accomplished. It's not that I'm waiting on God to accomplish something to finish my salvation, but I am saved and I am stable and I am secure in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says whether the forerunner for us has entered. You know what He did? The Lord Jesus gave His life, took His blood in before God, and He secured me an anchor that I could trust in. He did. He did it. The forerunners entered there. Even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Well, what's that mean? Well, after the order of Aaron, Aaron died and his son took his place. And Aaron's son died and his son took his place. But you know Melchizedek. Melchizedek appears out of nowhere 
and we don't know anything about him. And Abraham worships God and pays him tithes. And Melchizedek disappears. And we still don't know anything about him. So what's being implied? The eternal work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He stepped out of eternity into time. He gave Himself for our sins. And He stepped back into eternity. And there He is forevermore. He's not going to need a successor. We're not going to have to vote a new one in. He's done the work. And it's finished. And I have a strong consolation. I don't lay down at night and wonder was what the Lord That's done? Amazing. Was it good enough for me? I don't have to say is that going to get me to heaven? But I can shut my eyes and say if I don't wake up I'll be with a father. Amen. How do you know that? That's madness. In the flesh it is. But when God persuades you and gives you a confidence it can't be taken away. A hope. So faith and hope. Let's look maybe at one more place in Ephesians chapter 1. Let's, let's be sure that we know that our expectation, our confidence is in the Holy Spirit of God. It's not... Uh, sadly, a lot of people's expectation in going to heaven at the end is in a trip to an altar or a dip in the creek for baptism. It's, well, I look back to that. Well, the Bible says here, Ephesians 1, verse 13, in whom ye also trusted. We're talking about Christ. It was in Christ that we put our trust in for our salvation. After that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So sealing. That don't mean a Ziploc bag and it's sealed. I see how you can apply it that way. But see, in, in this day, and you can look in the Old Testament and see it several times, but as the king would make a law or the king had a letter that he wanted to send to this one. They would write that letter down as the king saw fit and they would take a, a candle and put a drop or two of wax down on that paper and he had a ring with a signet on it and he would stamp that with his ring. And you know, when that come to that governor or to that other person and they opened that letter, they saw that stamp, they saw that signet and they said, this is from the king's office. This is official document. We'd better not ignore this. Well, that's what the word means here. So the Holy Spirit was the stamp, the signet, the approval, the signature of God on them that He redeemed. So God's bringing people into the family and everyone that He saves, He signs them. This one's mine. This one's mine. This is my son. And that stamp now, it's not a signature. And God forbid it's not a number on your hand or your head. But the stamp of God is His Holy Spirit that He puts within you. He stamped us with the Holy Spirit of God, which is... Listen to it and see if this ain't right. Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is... So He's talking about the Spirit, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession 
unto the praise of His glory. So what is earnest? If you've ever bought anything that you ain't got the money to buy, you've probably run into earnest money. You ever run up on a car, and I, I'd like to buy that car, but I don't have the money. Well, if I just leave, then the next guy that comes that wants it, he's going to sell it to him. But you know what you do? You say, listen, bud, I'm coming back to buy that car, and I've got $300 in my pocket. I'll give you that $300 if you'll hold that for me till tomorrow. That's earnest money. That's a guarantee to that salesman that I mean what I say and that I intend on coming uh, if you've ever bought property, maybe to, to take it off the market, they want earnest money. They want some money down that shows that you mean business. Well, the Lord didn't leave the church a wondering whether He's going to come back and save them. But this Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. God says, I'm coming back to get you and I'm going to take you home with me. And just so you know that I mean business, I'm going to fill you with my spirit which is listen which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption so there's a day of redemption at the end that earnest money see the picture that earnest money that's I'm coming back tomorrow with all 10,000 of it I'm coming to buy that tomorrow this is your guarantee yeah. well the Lord says I'm coming back to get you and you're going to be at home with me and to prove that I mean business. You know what Rahab said? She said, give me a token. I know you're coming to destroy this place. I know the judgment of God is coming. You promised that I'm going to be redeemed, but give me something that can assure me that I'm going to make it. Moses and the children of Israel down in Egypt. There they were. The, the judgment of God is coming amongst the land. There's going to be a dead person in every house and God says put the blood. That'll be a token. You see it? And so the Holy Spirit now, His imparting into our life is the earnest of the inheritance that we're looking for. And all that God's given us in this life and How wonderful that the power of the Spirit is as we live and move in this world. How wonderful it is as He would bless us with a revelation that He would stir up our heart. But what I've got today is just the earnest. There's there's more to come. We're going to see the manifold grace of God one day. We're going to see it, Paul says there in 13, and we're going to get ahead of ourselves if we're not careful, and I need to hurry along anyway. So we've got faith and hope. So faith was delivered by God through the Spirit. Hope was delivered by God through the Spirit. And now charity. The ending of the Trinity is charity. That word charity, it means love. The Greek word in the original text is Agape. It's, it's more than, you know, we say I love that song. I love to eat pizza. I love to go here or there. And that, that does, that's not real love. You see that? I say I love you. 
But you know, I tell Ken I love him, and I mean that in a different way than I do when I tell my son, I love you, son. See how that is? But this love here, and he defines it all through chapter 13, what agape really is, what charity really is. This is a love that's greater than anything man has ever known of himself. It is impossible that carnal man love like God loves. You may have a good opinion of me today. You may like me. But what little bit you know. But you let me do you wrong tomorrow and you'll not want to see me again. You might want to get revenge on me tomorrow. But you know, here's God. You know, God, God don't love that way. But God's love was from eternity towards sinners. And you know, I, 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 I used some awful language when I was a sinner. I thought very poorly of God when I was a sinner. I made fun of God, of the church, of preaching when I was a sinner. And you know, all of that meanness, if you'd, if you'd do that to me today, I, I wouldn't have much respect for you. That's the truth. In man we wouldn't. But you know, when we were sinners and were hateful and hating towards God and towards one another, God's love was still there. He put up with us. He forbeared us. When He could have justly ended our life and cast us into hell, God was merciful and compassionate and long-suffering. Why was He those things? Because of His love towards us. That's the only answer there is. So this charity in 1 John chapter 4, we see that John says, we love Him because. So my love toward Him because means to be caused by something. What caused my love towards God? It was that He first loved me. His affection was first towards me. And now, you think about everything we've talked about. If God didn't love, and if God didn't send Christ, and if God didn't send the Spirit, and if God didn't convince us, and if God didn't draw us, and if God didn't save us, then where would we be today? Would you love God today if He didn't do any of that for you? No, the Bible says we loved Him because He first loved us. He was the first source of love. It was Him that made this relationship to be possible. It was Him that cared for us when we did not care for Him. It was Him that showed us mercy and kindness because while we were yet sinners, He gave His Son to die that we could be redeemed. Amen. 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 And so this love of God then, let's look one place, 2 Corinthians, just a few pages over from where we're at here. 2 Corinthians, chapter number 5, verse number 14. While you're turning there, I'm going to read one verse in Romans chapter number 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So this love of God was shed abroad inside of those that He saved 
by the Spirit. Now, what does that result in? This is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 13. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. Whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So you see that the love of Christ, that Christ's love towards me, but deeper than that, as he puts his spirit within me and my soul begins to love him because of the work that he's done. There's a constraint there. That love, because I love him, I'm constrained to live for him. That's the way. Now, you think now, not to be carnal, you think about a marriage and a man's love for a woman and a woman's love for a man. They truly love one another with all their heart. And when another woman or another man would come and try to interject their self, because they love that other person, they're constrained to resist that. You see how that works? That's what he's saying here, that the love of Christ that's down inside of the heart of the church, them that are born again, it constrains them. They can't live the way they want to, the way the flesh would desire. They can't do the way their carnal mind wants because inwardly they love their master and they desire to please him. You know why man can go on and they don't care about the church, they don't care about the gospel, we don't care about God. You know why man is free to do what he wants to? Because he don't love God. I mean, you boil it down biblically. You argue with that all you want to. But you boil it down biblically. If I'm born again and I love God, that love will constrain me. So this charity now, It didn't originate in me. It originated in God. And God gave that to me in the Spirit. You see, all three of these are of the Spirit. And so the Spirit shed the love of God abroad in my heart. And now my life has been transformed by God's power. He says it in another place. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. You don't belong to yourself any longer. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. Now, I I say this, that without any one of these, you're not saved. And you can't have one without all of them. That's the way it is. These three are one in our salvation. But God does say that charity is greater than faith and charity is greater than hope. Why is that? What is it about this charity, this love, that's greater than these other two? Well, faith. You see, faith is a persuasion that God gave me. He, he tells Thomas, you remember what he told Thomas? Thomas said, I won't believe except I see him and I put my hand in his side. And the Lord appeared to Thomas and he said, put your fingers in my hands and run your arm into my side. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And you remember what the Lord said, blessed are you for you've seen and believed. But blessed are they that see not yet believe. We, we've never seen the Lord Jesus. We've never seen hide nor hair of him. We have no idea what he looked like. We've got no idea what he talked like. 
We've never seen anything of Him. And you know the, the truth now, with the natural eye, what evidence have you ever seen that any of this is true? Have you ever seen anything with a natural eye that says that any of this is true? No. Ain't that something? And yet lives are so convinced that this is true that they're transformed. That men that were sinners are now having their heads chopped off for this gospel's sake. That persuasion cometh not of man, but God's persuading. And we're believing in something that we've never seen. But you know what's going to happen one day? Faith's going to end. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I'm believing in Him. I'm believing in that that I've never seen. And having never seen Him, I love Him. With joy unspeakable and full of... That's the Word of God. That's not my Word. That's what the Bible says. And so having never seen Him, I have faith. I'm convinced. I'm persuaded. But you know I'm not going to need to be convinced when I see Him. That faith is going to end when I'm in His presence. See, Paul here in 1 Corinthians 13, so much of that's applied to heaven too in those verses that we read. Paul said, when I was a child, I spake and acted and done like a child does. But when I became a man, I don't act like a youngin anymore. Now we know in part. We don't know the whole thing. We've not got all knowledge. We don't have... A, I tell you what each one of us has got. We know just a little piece that God's allowed us to know. But I, the day's coming that we're going to receive the fullness of this salvation. The day's coming that we're going to be in the actual physical presence of God with a body that's like unto the Son of God and we're going to be in His person. It's not going to be something that we're looking for and the world says, look at them fools. I tell you, they said, look at that fool Noah building an ark. But when they saw the water come up and the boat begin to float, where was that then? Where was the mocker and the scoffer? The day's coming that faith will end and hope Now he says in Romans, I want to read that, Romans 8. I'll never quote that right. Romans chapter 8, verse number 24. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? So when that day of sight comes, I won't need to hope for it anymore either. You know, he's, Matthew told us that Colson's in the Navy. While he's gone, there's a hope. An expectation that on such and such day he's going to get some leave and we'll get to see him again. And when he comes, when he's in their house, when he's on their couch, they're not hoping that he comes then because they've received. Well, the church today, the church may be in travail, the church may be looking, but the day's coming that the church is going to be redeemed. And she won't have to hope anymore. But charity, you know, charity's it's necessary here. And when we leave this world, it's going to be in the presence of the love of God. And to the glory of the love of God, the praises will ring 
throughout all of eternity. So of these three, faith and hope is going to end at the day of our redemption. But charity is going to go onward. We will exist and live in the love of God through all eternity. I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach to you. I hope we've said something that could be a help to you in the Word of God. Uh, we, you come close. You come close.